0: Hello everybody and welcome back to Along Come Norwich for episode 2 of City Till We Die. You join myself, Ben Ambrose and George Wilson for an episode of the podcast where there might just be a little dash of optimism but there shall be plenty of of criticism and doubting and all these wonderful things we love to do as norwich city fans i'd like to firstly say thank you to everyone who listened to the podcast and and watched it across youtube spotify apple Podcasts, all those things for those who don't know who are watching we're on the podcast platforms vice versa for those who are listening we're also on youtube should you decide you would prefer to watch our lovely faces talk about norwich city george first and foremost my friend. How are you? Because a lot has happened since our last pod. A lot has um, has gone down in the Norwich City sphere. How are you doing, my friend?
1: I'm fairly well, thank you. Um, I think, as you say, a lot has taken place in the, what is it, three weeks since we last spoke, roughly, even though we've only had two games taking place with Weber leaving and Napa coming in. I'm pretty sure when we last recorded, we didn't know Weber was going to be heading off, did we? But it kind of... It all escalated at the Blackburn game. Um, I think he made the right call by heading out as he did. And I'm I'm sure we're going to come on to talk about that. But yeah, I'm feeling good. I'm ready to see how the men get on once again um, this coming weekend, as well as the women's team as well. Big game coming up for them at the weekend. So yeah, a a double both in Norwich. Uh, Yeah, looking forward to it and looking forward
0: to this. It is a crazy time at Norwich City at the moment. You you rightly touched on there. The women are having a fantastic season. And for, for those who haven't been to go and see a game, make sure you get down to the nest or, or wherever they're playing. It' well worth a watch and, and considerably better uh, in terms of the level of viewing compared to the men's team at the moment. But it's the men's team we'll talk about. And I want to roll my eyes, but it's a choice for us to do this. So I shan't do that. Let's touch on Stuart Webber first. I, I, I did sort of contemplate this idea of doing a podcast where we go over Stuart Weber, the good, the bad, the David Brent, but I think there's enough content out there by the time I realise that, yeah, maybe, maybe we shouldn't, there's some great content out there, but we will touch on it now before moving on to, to Ben Napper and the state Norwich City could find themselves in, the state we want them to find themselves in, and, and the state that we realistically think they could find themselves in. Um, but as I said, we'll start with, with Stuart Weber. George this word legacy was used throughout his Norwich City tenure of course he's no longer employed by Norwich City it's now Ben Napper this word legacy was used and and he always painted this picture of I want to leave Norwich City with a legacy in place and and this legacy that he has left behind him because my goodness it's a legacy alright what do you make of that in terms of that that broad question because of course we'll go into the finer details but when you think of Stuart Webber as a man who has just left our football club and and the six years he spent here, how do you sort of reflect on that?
1: I think for definite it's a mixed bag is how I would first of all describe it. Um, it feels as if having read through his, it wasn't a statement, was it? It was a message as he departed. I feel like he mentioned a lot of times in their, the training ground and you know, a a lot of it often comes back to the training ground. And I think, yeah, fair enough. It's great that we've got um, a training ground there that uh, attracts players and that they come and see it and they think, wow, but I think um, really what we 90% or more than 90% of Norwich fans are never going to see inside that training ground. So it kind of frustrates me a little bit that it always comes back to that. In terms of the... The general legacy, um, I said, there, mixed bag. We're always going to remember the the high points, you know, going back to Villa Park, the day we won the title. Um, there, the first title under Farker, but my memory of that day, I will I will always remember the fact that Weber was down there on the pitch, and he was part of that, and you know, everyone at that time was singing his praises. I think in terms of the negative side of it. I mean, I, I've written down here because you kind of teed up that we were going to be discussing it. I think the first big mistake that he made isn't so much the um, the signings that were made in that second Premier League season because I think when um, when the signings were made, I can remember at the end of that August summer transfer window, there were graphics being posted everywhere everywhere um, And just generally Norwich fans saying, look at all these signings we've made. What a window it's been. And okay, so many of those went wrong. But I think where he went really wrong was not really having any plan in place um, when he got rid of Daniel Farker. I personally think it was the right decision to get rid of him. But the fact that we then saw Dean Smith come in um, the following week, even though Smith had been in a job the night Farker was sacked, that was immediately the signal that there wasn't a plan for when Farker went. Um, and it always felt like up until that point, everything that Norwich were doing had some sort of plan behind it. Of course, there's going to be a, a mix of that. You're going to have to work, um, act with your feet kind of thing and uh, you know, work quickly in the job that he's in. But it felt like, to me, up until that point, and of course, it's easy in hindsight because we're looking back on this in general, but... I feel like that was kind of the key point and kind of since then we haven't really had anything overridingly positive um, to discuss. But yeah, it's a mixed bag in answer to your question. That's kind of how I see it in terms of when it changed from
0: positive to negative. I find it a tricky one with with Shoeba, but I think you've defined it well there in terms of this idea that you can almost see that little bookmark, can't you, of where things started to turn before the sacking of Daniel Farkett, you're absolutely spot on. Everything felt really sort of planned and and organised. And there is a, a narrative that has been pushed slightly by by certain journalists, which is, well, all the second half, we'll call it, of his Norwich City tenure was things bubbling, you know, over that had been bubbling away for for a certain while. For me, as fans who don't see the inner workings nor particularly care to see the inner workings. I don't think that's the narrative we should push, so I'm going to try and stay away from that. But it's very clear that change that happened and and everything, as as you said, basically fell apart, didn't it? Norwich became very reactive to situations and and really poorly. And I'd completely forgotten. I know Dean Smith was not long out of a job, but I completely forgotten that on the night of Farkas sacking, he was still in a job, which at the time felt bizarre. But as we always try to do as football fans, as is our job to, you try and put that positive spin on it of, well, his mind is still in the game, he's not been on holiday and he's got loads of experience and, and blah, 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 all of that. All of these sort of, in retrospect, excuses you make for what was, I don't think, a very good appointment. Same for David Wagner. We could talk about that for days. But the thing with Stuart Weber is, it's easy to to sort of pick out the, oh, the, well, the training ground, we'll never see that. We'll never see that. And I completely agree. But Norwich City, from my perspective, are in a better place than where they were when he picked us up. But I don't really, I don't think we're in that much of a better place in the sense of what was the the squad and the club that he inherited from the previous folk, we shall say. It was a, an an aging squad, a rapidly aging squad. Some really silly contracts, sort of just floating around Carrow Road in, in terms of playing personnel. It was a team without a style, without a purpose, really. A team that felt very entitled to be in the Premier League without any real reason. And this is being used as a stick to beat Stuart Webber with, which I'm going to continue to do so because I think is a very fair point. But you look at the squad now, and it's quite old it feels very entitled to be in the premier league especially with the signings they made it absolutely stinks of a well we can walk it with these experienced players and some not so sensible contracts you know you look at players like shane duffy who have been given more than a year and it's like it really backs up this point of everything was thrown out of the window which connor connor makes this point quite often about his duo, but which is he was good at sort of Dragging the club from A to B, but then when he got to B, he then just sort of went back to A, and it's a bit like you can go backwards and forwards. and And if Stuart Weber had left Norwich City at the time that he foreshadowed at the beginning of his tenure, which was oh, I'll, I'll basically I'll do three years then be gone, and he, you know, maintained that message for a while, didn't he? I don't really know at what point the narrative changed, but he ended up being here for for over six years. It's a bit like, oh, if you'd left after three, mate, I think you'd have been viewed as, as, you know, to, to be hyperbolic, but God, in, in a way, in the sense, if you, you came to this football club, you changed the culture, you improved the facilities, and you could have gone on to better things. Um, You know, I, I believe this idea that he had Premier League offers um, in terms of bigger clubs, but you didn't. And I keep hearing this quote misquoted, which is you live long enough no, what was it? The, the, the beautiful irony of that being you live long enough to see yourself become the hero or become the villain. I don't know. The irony of me saying misquoted and then misquoting myself <laughs> is is truly beautiful. But like, it's absolutely spot on. And in that period, you sprinkle in a lot of personality. My thing in terms of consistency with Stuart Weber is that it, it always felt very honest. It felt like him. It never felt like a front this pr that he had this 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 personality but there was a lot of unnecessary things sort of thrown in there and it's a bit like oh come on mate you didn't need to talk about what was it he said like divorcees in the in the snake pit it's a bit like okay you're talking to a minority of the fans but like i'm not a divorcee in, in in the snake pit i'm looking at that comment going that's just unnecessarily harsh. And if you are sitting in the snake pit, you're probably thinking this guy is an absolute idiot. And it's things like that, which chipped away over time in terms of that relationship between him and and the fans. And ultimately, in my opinion, led to the fact that he didn't feel the urge or didn't feel like he could. I don't know. I'm not inside of his brain, but to go over and show some, I don't know, anything to the away fans when he got that guard of honor against Cardiff That really sums it up for me and and it's just, it's such a fascinating period of Norwich City's history and it's nice that there are those positive moments, there are those memories and and thank you very much for those, but I've never felt more ready to, to move on. I remember three years ago being like, oh my God, I hope he never leaves. Now we're like, thank God he's gone. That really does, um, and I feel like that only, you know, this thing will only happen at Norwich City, which is just, it, it's just mental. The last thing George I want to speak about when it comes to Stuart Weber is what is your opinion on him not going over and doing anything to the fans? Do you think it's sad in the sense of, oh well, you know, he had had chance previously of, of we want Weber out, that kind of stuff, or do you think it's very much a case of well? Stu, mate, you sort of, you made your bed, and you you had to lay in it. What what what's your take on it?
1: Uh, I mean, I wasn't there in the away end, so I can't I can't say how it must have felt. Because when I've seen clips back of it, I I kind of think what must this be looking like from the away end if they've just celebrated it you know, with the players. If you see that across from the stadium, they could probably make out that it was Stuart Weber, but they, they they were probably wondering is he coming over it? I don't blame Weber for um keeping his distance because like you said there, the um the way it turned at Blackburn was not pleasant and uh, you know, I don't I don't envy him that. I, I think I, I could see why it boiled over like it did. Is it sad that um that it ended like that it probably is because it did there was a time that um what do we have there were t-shirts being made with with his face on it weren't there um but that is kind of just the way these things work isn't it um but yeah I I, I don't feel any particular sadness I, I I'm with you in that it feels um it feels refreshing to have someone else at the top who is um who's making the calls. And it's interesting what you said about the um, the comments he made in certain interviews, which always felt like always felt crazy because he was never he was never prompted to talk about the the things that, you know, got in the headlines, like the you mentioned the snake bit divorcees, not to keep referring back to the women's team, but the comment he made about the um the standard of the women's team or, or the women's game, whatever he said, he was quite simply asked about, you know, how, I think the question was how pleasing is that for the club to have that kind of thing taking place? And, and suddenly he goes off in that direction. So I think um, he didn't help himself in that regard, but obviously the, the overall last couple of years with um, results deteriorating and like you mentioned there, the the aging squad, etc. It's, it's all kind of come together to, Result in that ending, so no, I, I don't feel
0: too much sadness about it. I feel it my duty to also mention we aren't going to talk about the mountain climbing. That that is of no interest to us. We we know it's um a hot topic at the best of times, but nope, not for us. Thank you very much. I think one one big thing and and, and to finish on Stuart Webber, like I've said three or four times, is that attitude he took was. I think, at the best of times, almost felt brave in the sense of, oh, wow, look how humble this guy is. But as things went wrong, continued to go wrong, it then very quickly became arrogance and it became disrespectful and it didn't maintain that same value that it had when Norwich were being successful by our own definition. And yeah, it's a really bizarre one. And Ben Napper will will be fully aware of of what Stuart Weber is like because you know, unless he's like got the the same due diligence level of of the current Norwich City lot, he would have done his research. He would have looked at his persona and what he said, because he'll be fully aware the questions that Stuart Weber was being asked will now be asked of him. And because it's not Stuart Weber, people will expect a different answer in terms of the actual answer, a different answer in terms of tone, and different like future projections, all those things. And and Ben Napper will be well, he, he is essentially mopping up what Stuart Webber has, has left behind, which is such a fascinating thing. And the quote is, you either die a hero or live long enough to see yourself become the villain. I can't believe that I fluffed that. That was just you, insane. That's, that's it has, romantic. yeah. And I, I thought, it, just in case we get a comment where I've given it the Billy, <laughs> I've given it the Bertie, I thought, okay, right, we'll, we'll get that right. But like all Norwich City fans should do, we'll, we'll look forward and – I do wish it was very much the same case as when Stuart Weather came in, which is almost basically you've got, you're in May and you've got a summer to get things in place. I wish it was that because the tone of our conversation could have been a lot lighter, but we are quite deep into a season now for a season for me that has felt like it's just flown by really quickly. But Ben Napper comes in with a, with a different outlook. A, a great CV, by the way, from 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 the research I've done and, and the comments you guys made, um, you and Connor made on the last podcast. But we are quite deep into a season. Um, we're being led by a manager who, unless your opinion has changed, George, we don't want in the football club for whatever reason, um, which we'll talk about now. But looking forward, how, how do you do it? how do you do you try and pluck out the positives but keep your feet on the ground do you i don't know put your blinkers on and go we can't look behind us well in my opinion it's it's a bit of both but as a fan george your outlook at the moment how how do you try and perceive things
1: um i think first of all on Napa, i mean i think a lot of norwich city fans with any interest or every norwich city fan with any interest would have watch the initial video we've had um, with him on the club channels I'm personally disappointed at this point that he still hasn't been put in front of Connor and his um, local media colleagues only because there's only so much you can get from a um, from a club interview and in reality I don't feel like we really got anything from that first one um, I know he he touched on the the football he expects his coaches to play um, and that kind of thing. But I think until he's actually asked questions that he hasn't been briefed on previously, we, we won't really get to see um, m- more about him. I'm not saying I, I want him to be grilled because he's clearly not in the position where he needs to be grilled because he's only settling in. Um, but yeah, I'm quite disappointed that hasn't happened yet. In terms of the the task he's got, um, at hand, I would like to think this first week and a half or so, he spent a lot of time with the likes of Neil Adams and the and the staff who have who have been there for that period of time. Um, because even though um, Neil Adams sat on the stage at Great Yarmouth and you know defended Wagner and said, uh, I think he, he said a quote, correct me if I'm wrong. He, he said something like. Um, maybe we're going to change things on the on the outside now didn't he rather than the head coach um which is a quote that has angered a lot of people but at the same time um they must have been having those discussions in relation to Wagner i actually think the adams was quite fortunate that he he went and in, into that q and a off the back of a win because if they'd gone into that off the back of another negative result um the questions could have been even more difficult than they actually were. So I think that's surely got to be the key for Napper if he really has been on the outs on the outside, which, which clearly he has. He's been taking some time off. Um, I think the question now is, he's going to give Wagner time, but how many games does he get? Is is this a- is this an audition for Wagner? Is it a? You know, will he be told you, you've got until January? Because realistically, these next six weeks up until the Christmas period, you can um, you can reignite your season, or or, or you can lose it. It, it. it can be pretty much over by the new year. We've still got thirty games to play, but we're going to go through a lot of games within this next period. So, if he's going to go with Wagner throughout that, that's a big risk given the form we've been in um, I don't know if I've answered your question there but th- th- that's just a few of my thoughts in terms of what Adams has had to sit through and I'm just interested to know how that partnership is going to work but they've got a previous relationship haven't they
0: so maybe that will help the difficult thing at the moment is is Norwich are in a position where they need to set a narrative whether it's tweaking the current one whether it's starting again a narrative needs to be set and. It, I don't know, I find it difficult because as you said, there is an outpouring of support for for David Wagner and it's a bit like, oh my god we have all this background information of, of what we've seen towards the end of, well I mean for half of last season as well as this season and it's a bit like, hang on a minute it's not like Wagner's been here since the beginning of the season and he's not been given some great players and, and this, that and the other thing but it's like what what are we actually doing because you've got 27 well it's definitely not twenty seven thousand people but you've got a lot of people who can look at this football team and can diagnose you've got one of three things you've got the players and the manager aren't good enough or you've got the players not being good enough and a manager who is underprepared or you've got a manager who isn't good enough and players who are underprepared and my answer is well it's a bit of both But the way they seem to be remedying that situation and and the situation, I should say, say, is that we're going to give, we're sticking with Wagner. We're going to give him all this time in the world. And they've really pushed that. I honestly don't think I've ever seen, maybe apart from Daniel Farker's first season, but this level of support where David Wagner has sat there after the level of performances we've seen over the nearly, I don't know if it has been a year or not since he's been in charge, but no, it hasn't been, is it? Was it Boxing Day, wasn't it? Yeah, it was uh, early January. So we're, we're 10 early months January. in now. So so we're approaching a year. We're getting real close to a year of of stuff that isn't very good to watch mm. and isn't very promising. But we're still, we've got David Wagner in a press conference going, yeah, but I've got a phone call from from Delia and Michael saying, you have our full support. And we're all sat there like, what's happening? And I'm getting really... I don't know. I'm getting really, I don't think this is like particularly used as like a reason to keep Wagner but I'm getting really bored of people talking about what a nice bloke he is because hmm. he seems like a nice bloke, cool, but, and then he doesn't deserve any malicious chance but it's very rare that a football manager, you know, as a human being deserves that that kind of chanting but he is nowhere near good enough at, at what he does and we've seen that, you know, from my perspective as someone who isn't particularly analytical to the level of and i'll always reference him ncfc analysis where he has sat there and picked apart the flaws in his plan and it's like come on guys you've got people like me you've got people like him we're all norwich city fans we can all see this isn't working but we seem to keep being behind it and and this win against cardiff was such a i don't think anyone was at all convinced it's the first time norwich city have won a game and it's like no one is convinced at all. We've all sort of been a bit like, well, yeah, we, we were all right, but let's not ignore the last 10, 11 months of, of what's been going on and, and the fact that Norwich City find themselves in a state where the guy who's been basically running the football club for the last six years doesn't even come over and acknowledge fans who haven't just made an away trip, but an away trip to Cardiff. And it's just like, what is going on?
1: I think something you said there almost unintentionally but it, it kind of sums it up and it it's um worrying that this hasn't been um recognized enough clearly by the board and those at the top but, but you said 27,000 people and then you remembered oh no they, there's nowhere near 20 27,000 people I mean um I was at, I was there for the first half an hour of the Blackburn game before I headed off for the nest and you looked around that ground, and the the number of empty seats. I, I don't actually know the um, the attendance that was that was written there, but people are now voting with their feet at Carrow Road as as, as well as as well as away from home, um, and yeah, that isn't something that we've become accustomed to at all, um, and I, they must be including season tickets in the. Uh, in the capacity, which is something I know Arsenal have done in previous years as well, but they're, they're surely opening their eyes and seeing that because Delia and Michael must have been at, you know, most, if not all, of the home games. Um, you can't, you can't ignore that. The the seats are yellow, you know, you you, you can't miss them. They're, they are there and until, um, until something more drastic changes, I think that's going to be the same. I think it'll be the same at QPR on Saturday. Okay, Webber's gone, but still people are looking at the product they're getting and they're thinking that let's go and do something else with our saturday afternoons um yeah I, I i just think the attendances is a it's surely a big worry because for so many years there's been talk in the background about building onto um onto the city stand get, getting a bigger capacity um we're a million miles off that right now sure it can change quickly but what is going on with that?
0: Yeah, I think for, for me, it's more almost the metaphor behind that in the sense of my, you know, I was there, admittedly, I was very young and I don't really remember it that much because I walked into a lamppost before that game, but I was there when Norwich lost to Colchester. Sincerely wish I'd I wasn't. walked into that lamppost I, I after the game.
1: I wasn't there, actually. I was on holiday and I was um, I was told at halftime it was 5-0 and I said, no, it isn't and went inside. But <laughs> no, it, it really is 5-0.
0: Yeah, well, imagine being there, George. That's all I gotta say. <laughs> Goodness me, that that Did I you think that's a the lot end. Of, yeah, I've I've never left a game early. That is a that's yeah. a blessing and a curse. Um, me and my dad, just like I mean, at, at this point, I just go on a random tangent. At this point, Norwich City season ticket to me it's just a bit of bonding time with my dad. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, it was that day because I think by four, sort of four, well. I, by any time michael theoknotos went to catch the ball we were just laughing and having fun um his only obviously what followed was fantastic time. his only appearance and i heard a story that before the game when they were like you know how before the game they like sign stuff and take photos apparently he was like shaking like a leaf and was just yeah. very nervous which was really reflected in his performance <laughs> I bet. Um, but like back to the back to the point which was the extension of, of the stadium, it's not something we'll we'll get into because it's all very political and I don't care to speak of, of something that, where there isn't really concrete facts. Um, but like in my brain, I was always thinking, well, Norwich would would fill that no issue because Norwich City are always selling out season tickets. You know, I know loads of people who have been waiting for a season ticket for ages. And in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, well, wow, now's your chance. Hmm. Um, but it's like, I'm actually at a point now where you get caro on a match day, and it's like, well, hang on a minute. This isn't as, as full as what it used to be. And, you know, not to blow things too out of proportion. It's not like you know Leeds when they weren't in the Premier League, where they could barely fill half the stadium. It's it's very noticeable, and I think complacency has always been a thing there, where Norwich and the board, and, and to an extent, I don't think it'll ever get too bad. But like, you just expect the fans to show up, and it's a bit like, okay cool yeah but it's very noticeable on a match day. and the blackburn game you, you notice how many people left and and that word apathy was such a such a key one after that first goal went in we were all like all oh, right the second when there was a bit of outrage because there was that when that first one went in that the, the rage began to sort of boil it's like someone flipped on the kettle and as the, the, the second goal scored it was at the screaming point where everyone was like oh my god here we go again but complacency is, is such a such an issue and, and has been an issue. And I think that's, one, again, one of the narratives that has been pushed in terms of an executive level at, at Norwich City. And what was my other point? I can't remember what my other point was now. I'm, I'm very sure it'll come back to me. But, oh, that was it. It was to do with Neil Adams. And, and the thing you mentioned, which was this idea of, of looking around the edges or around the sides or edges, whatever he said, before making that rash decision. And it's like, okay, it's great that you're doing that. And I get the idea that you're perhaps trying to nudge that narrative on a path of of caution and look, we're going to make sensible decisions again, informed decisions even. But it's like, oh man, that came at the expense of, of losing Daniel Farker. And by no means do I sit here and think, oh, I wish we'd never sacked Daniel Farker. It's just a bit like, it's such a big and tough lesson to learn. Why did it have to be at the expense of, of someone who is, proving to be still a very good coach so yeah it's it's a tough one to to be positive isn't it george but like i keep saying but like a lot i think it you know that, that happens when i go on a rant and it's difficult to not rant about <laughs> Norwich at the moment and i did set the task for us to to sprinkle in some some positivity so we'll, we'll try and do that before we call before we call time uh, any thoughts on that at all george i i, I see you, i so, I see you go to speak sometimes, and I just feel awful because I'm like, I've got to get it all out because that's the way you know, you've got to get it all off your chest, haven't you?
1: No, you have. I just think it's interesting on attendances um, because I've always kind of said or had a go at my Ipswich mates for how rubbish theirs have been in recent years. And you know, you mentioned there how we'll always sell out. Um, and I've, yeah, I've never really thought that it's going to be that it's, it would go the way it has, but yet it, it seems to have flipped so quickly. Um, like I say, I'm not saying it is um, It is over this season because we've got, we've got 30 games to go and football can change quickly. And if we're talking about positives, I couldn't believe, or I, I suppose I was surprised when I looked after the Cardiff game, Ipswich have got the best attacking record in the league and then underneath that, Norris City are joint with Leicester. The se- the second best attacking record in the league after 16 games. So, you know, we don't need to go over how poor we are defensively. We don't, we don't really need to be we don't need to be brilliant defensively. We just need to cut out the goals we're conceding every game. And and we could be a quite capable team. So I I don't know how far off. We actually are, but while you're shipping two, three, you know, in the last four games, we've conceded ten goals. Why conceding at that rate? It just you can't pick out the positives because conceding goals at that rate is just not sustainable. But that's what I mean. If we could sort that out, we could be onto something. Particularly with Barnes coming back from injury, etc. You know, this is me attempting to to try and steer us towards the positivity. I know we want to mention um, George Long possibly in a bit as well. Um, But yeah, we're not miles off. It it does feel a bit like it, but maybe something can turn soon. I hope it does.
0: Yeah, I think for those who are listening or watching it have gone well, I don't want to talk about George Long give us a minute and we'll get there and you'll understand <laughs> um because we, we spoke about it pre-pod didn't we? we were a bit like oh man we've got to mention George Long uh which is just it's just well it's not funny but it is actually quite funny at the same time but what what encapsulates for me this this narrative with Norwich at the moment is that we are a Norwich City podcast we talk about all things Norwich City but we aren't fussed to talk about a win we we almost look at it as like a Oh yeah, but that doesn't matter. And to be in a position where, when you're talking about your football club, that you can just ignore a win—obviously, we haven't completely ignored it—but it's it's mental. It's mental that Norwich that City find themselves in a position where people like me and you can look at a win as, oh yeah, but it doesn't really mean much, does it? And you're absolutely right. And let's let's get into the the positivity before we cap it off with talking about George Long. <laughs> but let's try and be a bit more positive. I think you're absolutely spot on. I don't think. The football at the beginning of the season was a fluke by any means. There's evidence that Norwich City can create some good football. And none of the goals really have been a fluke or particularly undeserved. On the front foot, when they want to be, this Norwich City squad, whatever you think of them, are really capable and and can produce and and yield some really aesthetically pleasing results. And, And obviously we saw that at the beginning of the season. And despite shipping all of these goals, we can still score And as you said, if we can cut out the silly errors, if we can do this, if we can do that, we're now at a point with the manager where that if is if we get someone different. Because there is that debate of, well, you've still got the same squad of players, but evidence suggests that squad of players are massively underachieving. And you're absolutely right. The squad will stay the same, but with a different manager you can get a little bit more at, but also with a different manager at any point of this season, you're preparing for next season. And again, let's, let's keep the blinkers on and, and, and look at this season and not look too far forward. But this season can still be a success for Norwich. It's up to us to, to redefine as fans. It's up to them as a football club to redefine and, and almost not rip up the previous narrative, but set this new narrative of, of what success means to us. For me, it's, to begin playing a defined style of football that fans believe in, but also that players believe in with the promise that recruitment will be structured around supporting that because that's what we had, wasn't it with with Daniel Farke, where Ben Napper's job is it's not easier, but where he will have that inspiration is what, what Stuart Weber did when he got here, which was he brought in a manager with a defined style. And it was not just that, it was a style that you know could have and should have been sustainable. A manager, you know, personality is not the most important thing, but a, a manager who clearly wanted to be here wasn't Dean Smith on the rebrand. Uh, rebound, isn't David Wagner who's trying to save his own career because let's not forget what what roads have, have led him to Norwich City. But that element of personality will be important as well as this promise of we're going to develop players, we're going to sign young players, we're going to look... Far obviously back then it was the second tier of, of, of German football and, and we're, we're all well aware and, and very familiar with this this Brexit implication of well second tiers in Europe aren't the most viable now but there is a remedy there of, of South America and we've seen Gabi sarah we've seen what you know to a degree Nunez can do so it's a bit like well hang on a minute I said this on the last pod the blue the blueprint is there. It's just about how you achieve that. And and this is information I got from Connor, you know, via that podcast, which is Ben napper as an individual is more data orientated. Stuart Webber wasn't. And that's a fresh outlook. That's a fresh input that this football club needs. Um, from what I've gathered from, you know, much like to anyone listening to this, Norwich's approach is, is, is more so inspired by data and this business input that, the Atanasios have had, and, and, and sure, okay, look, they've got a big checkbook, and for what it's worth, they aren't going to be signing an endless amount of blank checks, but it's like they they have a very valuable input in terms of operational um, side of things, and then this idea of, well, data is very important, but I, th- I, th- I can't remember what podcast it was now. I think it was, a Stuart, I think it was Stuart Webb's interview with The Pink and after last season where he basically said, Data-wise, these guys are fantastic, but facilities, they're nowhere near where we are. And great, facilities-wise, we're fantastic, but let's bring in that fresh input. I'm not just going to say data, even though it is that, but let's bring in that fresh input and things like that. You know, the the, the little rant I've been on there, things like that really make me feel a bit more like, okay, there's something for us to believe in. It's just you do need to see it short-term, and the fact that we're going to get to January and we aren't going to spend any money we aren't going to sign any players because we saw and i can't believe we didn't mention it we saw that whopping great loan repayment needed
1: yeah.
0: it's like oh my god okay uh, that's fine but we can still see based off what we have signs of success you now for, for example right george don't know if you thought about this before but imagine being sam mccallum so okay you're, you're never playing because of janulus anyway sure but when Janulis is out of form... They throw okay. Paqueta in. Yeah, on a left-footed left-back, who's, who's quite athletic. I don't think he's technically very good, but as a second choice, meh. Mm. You are seeing... I mean, after that Cardiff game, one of the, the worst... The, the second he's not goal. Mental. Absolutely mental. You're seeing a footballer who isn't good enough in his own position. Nowhere near good enough. Um, sorry, Shemi, if you're watching Pepe, whatever you, whatever they call him, but he is nowhere near good enough technically. He's he's quite quick, but as as a winger, sorry, at the best of times is what I'm getting at. But as a left back, my goodness, absolutely woeful. And, and that decision rests on on David Wagner, and it's a bit like, oh man, and and the fact that you know we we sat here praying for Danny Bart as I said in the last pod, I really didn't have that on minority bingo card for this season. But it's things like that that undercut that bit of, of positivity. And, and George, before we move on to your fellow George, any input on that?
1: Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned um, McCallum. Uh, since you've just referenced him there, I'm trying to think. He came in in a January window, didn't he? But I, I, can't, right. think, I can't think exactly which one it is. And then he was loaned back. But it feels like he, he's a player who's you know, been at the club for a fair chunk of time now, and yeah. We, and, and we've still, we've still never really seen this, this promise that was supposed to be there. I think you could also talk about um, Jakob Sorensen, in, in the same light, um, admit, admittedly, he's probably had a bit more game time while also having a bit of disruption this season with injury. Um, but he's a player who's been at the club since well 2021 so we're now talking no well no 2020 he came in because he was in the team for the um second varka promotion and mm-hmm. he's he's never been someone you would you would class as a um first choice starter again maybe maybe we're going maybe we could go back into um weber's recruitment on this we're, we're not going to do that but i do think it's it's interesting that we have got those players who have never made that impact, but are still there as the squad players. Um, we don't need to go into the the low knees that have gone out, come back in, um, and are now back in the squad. But it comes back to the idea of the dross that is in the squad. Um, I think the I think the starting eleven that we've got is um, is really good, as as it proved at the start of the season. I'm really worried about what um, Wagner is going to tell us about. John Rowe on Thursday. Hopefully, it's you know if he's going to miss a game, let it only be the QPR one and maybe Watford. Um, I mean, ideally, no games at all. But um, yeah, the the depth isn't there, and it, it, yeah, I, I think you make a good point by raising McCallum because there there are a lot of those players.
0: Do you know what? Again, it, for me, it's a human level of of this. Of well, hang on a minute. You have got this professional footballer who. It just is needlessly sitting on the bench and it's almost a waste of resources. And, and by no means am I sat here thinking, oh, we can develop Sam McCallum into something Premier League worthy, which for me should be the goal for, for most, well, every single young signing that we make. And it's all right to get some wrong. Jacob Sorensen is an example for me of a signing that I'm I'm OK with not particularly blossoming into anything because we, we we tried something. It's just that... When you know you look at that first championship-winning season, where you had like you know your Felix Paslak who came into the club with a bit of expectation, but it turned into nothing. You then had Max Aarons behind him to to take that place, and you had Emi Puendia coming in to to replace uh, Ben Marshall as a signing because Ben Marshall was signed as a winger, wasn't he? And it's a bit like over these past three years, or sorry, before the um, Weber's first three years, you had this balance, didn't you? Of Terrible signings, but great signings. That the volume was much greater on this side. But on this side, you had Tim Krull, Timu Puki, Emi Buendia. So it, it balanced. Who, who, who performed and, so well that they were level, leveling it, out with the greater exactly, numbers? Yeah. Exactly, exactly. And for such little resource as well, and, and you know, let's not pretend it's peanuts because it's football. It's a lot of money. But also, things very quickly went whoop just like that. Mm-hmm. And for those listening, I'm I'm performing the action of a scale, um, which I'm sure George will tell you was, was a wonderful motion there. Great sound like, effect. More thank you very much. Um I should do it professionally, but I tend not to. But it's like how do we get to this position and, and there's a lot of, there's a lot of factors, isn't there? Where people have said, well Kieran Scott again, chief scout at Norwich was used in his example. Um, who was it, Greg Broughton or something? Mm. A, lot a lot of his back, players yeah. during his tenure at Norwich what was his list it was like max orange jamal lewis ben godfrey that that lot Mm -hmm. essentially people are picking out these names and going well actually Weber wasn't responsible it was this guy and and it was this guy and it was this guy and it's a bit like oh my god this just complicates matters even more for for people who you know don't live and breathe norwich city niche names as well and it just adds an extra layer of oh well, sure, Weber wasn't that great. Um, in the grand scheme of things, it's impossible to comment on with with any sort of real. I don't know. You know what I mean.
1: But it it is a shame though, because in five years to come, because people will hold grudges against Weber, they'll, they'll be coming back to things like that. When really, we should just try and and shelve it and say, you know, we had a couple of brilliant seasons. We also had a couple of disasters, and ju- just try and move on. But that's kind of life. That's not just football. People are always going to go back to that stuff. Um, But yeah, we've covered a lot there, haven't we?
0: We have. It's it's an interesting one, as I keep saying, because I tell you what, for those listening, if you're wondering why I keep saying it's an interesting one, it's because I have to stop myself from saying something really reckless. I go, if I say it's an interesting one, then I can have an extra second to think about what I'm going to say. So that's all that is. Talking about reckless, what about George Long? (laughs) Well, <laughs> Talking no, about re- reckless. There's a few
1: words. Maybe reckless isn't quite right. but the, the, so, the excellent signing, segue. The, the
0: signing was reckless, I think. The signing was... It's, yeah. It's a bit like it was for maybe not so much Shane Duffy, but like most of these free signings, it was a bit like, oh, well, he's free. So it's very low risk, high reward. But George Long, like... I don't, I don't like that we're doing this, but also... He's just not very good. He's just really bad. I can't, I don't feel safe. I mean, I don't feel safe at the best of times defensively, but this idea that when you had Angus Gunn, you could almost sit there and think, I, I, I trust the goalie to pull off a big save. And if it, you know, if he doesn't save it, then there'll be a, a valid reason, which, you know, let's not, you know, that's not paint a completely golden picture for Angus Gunn. He's, he's had a, he's made a couple of mistakes, but goalies do with George Long for you george are you sat there just like just you just get out of the way and let it go in just sort of do that
1: it does feel um a little bit like that i I think the reason i mentioned this to you before we started recording just that i wanted to mention it um is because when a signing of a backup keeper is made and it, it happened with this one you read um certain comments from Millwall supporters. I've actually got a Millwall supporting mate who I went to uni with and I sent him a message saying, what's he like? And I think he said something like, oh, I'll drive him to Norwich myself if you want, you know, that kind of off-the-cuff comment. But I think when you're signing a backup goalkeeper, you don't worry about it until Angus gets injured, do you? It's just because when it's signed, you think Angus Gunn has been at the club well, he he had his first spell, and now he's had two years since re-signing. He's he's never really, um, well, he might have had one injury when he when he'd come in for Krull, then went out, and then Krull came back in. But he doesn't he doesn't strike you as someone who's likely to get injured, so you don't worry about it until it comes. Um, and don't get me wrong, Angus hadn't had a brilliant season. I, I think he had a shocker at Plymouth um, when everything that came at him went through him. That doesn't mean I was at any point saying we need to change it, but um yeah, I, I just don't have any confidence in Long whatsoever. I had a look at some stats actually while we were um, while we were waiting. So he, he came in at half time against Leeds. So I I didn't I didn't find any not half time, just before half time. I didn't find any split stats first half, second half against Leeds. But um, in the four games he started since Leeds, so Borough, we conceded eight shots on target. Sunderland, we conceded nine. Blackburn, four. Cardiff, six. So that's 27 shots on target um, across the four games. We conceded 10 ga- ten goals in those four games. So for every three shots on target, we conceded we've conceded a goal, um, which I don't know whether I, whether I thought it would be a worse ratio than that. Um, but yeah, I just... I, I don't have any, any confidence in him, ultimately. And I, and I really hope Gunny is back fairly soon, or very soon, this Saturday, ideally. Yeah.
0: yeah, It's, it's unfortunate for us to perform a drive-by like that on him. But it I think it's spot on. You're absolutely spot on. And, and you raised a good point, didn't you, about us playing Ipswich and this idea of just there's just an extra layer of worry for that game this idea that you haven't got a Tim Krull mm-hmm. to bail you out with a massive save, like a massive penalty save. You haven't got him to bail you out. You haven't got Angus Gunn, who has done some harm, but has done far more good. A lot like Tim Krull, in my opinion, you know, it had the odd howler. Plymouth is, is a great example for, for Gunn as a bad game, but for every bad game, he'll have five, six, seven, eight very good games where he mm-hmm. has saved us points. He, he's just not a particularly vocal goalkeeper, which is why, he'll never play for... Well, he never played for England um, and why he'll play for Scotland. ha <laughs> very funny. Um, but it's just... There are so many layers, you know, that East Anglian derby, especially, where it's like, oh my God, <laughs> we're a bit, you know...
1: And yeah, I, I don't think... If Gunny's in for the derby, I, I don't think that means, you know, we suddenly go from losing it to winning it. I, I think we're in for a struggle, whatever. I, I, I just think... One less thing to worry about. Yeah, I, I just think with Long in goal, it, it, it could get horribly ugly for us. Um, like I said, may, may, maybe maybe I'm being harsh. I, I haven't seen all four um, of the games that he started in their entirety, but just I've, I haven't seen him make, an, make enough saves and that there's been shots that have gone through him. The, the one I immediately think back to in my head is the third Leeds goal at Carrow Road when he didn't really dive for it. It kind of just, it just went past his left knee and he just, Kind of stood there outstretched. Um, again, he might have died for it and not got there, but there's still kind of things you expect. Is that the Somerville one? Yeah. So he, he raced away yeah. and with his right foot bent it in the
0: bottom yeah. right corner. Um, yeah, well, this, the second goal as well i don't know if you remember that i think it's you know it's hard to it's do you know what i keep saying it, it's boggling my mind that like we're sat here picking out george long but again we're spot on with what we say um that second goal where it's drilled across and went basically through him to hit duffy and go in i saw sort of, I, I remember when he came on i turned to my dad and you you're spot on with what you said about it what Millwall fans said on social media. I turned to my dad and literally went, oh, Millwall fans didn't like this guy at all. Yeah. I think he played, what was it, 37 games last season for them. He was their number and, one,
1: wasn't he? Yeah, but um, yeah, yeah they really don't I'd like
0: probably, him. Yeah, it's not. It's just... Uh, you're, you're right, though, because
1: really, we could also pick on a lot of the um, defensive players and go through all of Gibson and Duffy's howlers. Um and, you know, maybe if if Long was watching this, he'd say, yeah, go on, do that as well. Make me feel better. <laughs> uh, we're, we're, we're not yeah. going to do that. I, I, I just think it, it has been uh, something that has contributed to the recent results that maybe hasn't been mentioned that much. Although I, I have seen people on social media mention it because it has been there for for you to see.
0: It's almost a running joke now, isn't it? This idea of like, when is George Long going to make a save? And I think he's, he's made a couple, but it is almost a running joke at this point. And hopefully it doesn't get too malicious, is, is what we'll say, but not great at all. No. In terms of looking forward then, George, Norwich City play, is it QPR next? QPR, a club, from the outside, in Desiree, the whole... Gareth Ainsworth, tenure, again, from the outside, was what watching it was fascinating because you had a guy who did a great job at Wickham, but for me, it was very quick. And we've seen it in football before, haven't we? was very quickly exploited as not being anywhere near good enough for the level that he, he stepped up to and very like, QPR. It um,
1: felt like Nathan Jones mo- li- leaving exactly Luton, it. didn't it? Similar to that. Yeah. Sorry to exactly
0: interrupt. I just... No, no, no. Uh, do you know what? I was, in my brain, I was very quickly trying to think, who can I compare that to? And Nathan Jones is a fantastic example. Um, but like, I don't know. Are we saying QPR are going to have a bounce? Like, you know, not a new man. I don't know if they've, I think they have appointed someone, yeah, haven't they? they? Is like they, they it a Spanish guy?
1: They drew at Rotherham under the new guy, didn't they? 1-1, I think it yeah. was.
0: Cause are we are we order. saying they're going to have a bounce for Car Road, or are we saying well they're not very good, so we should win, or are we just saying well Norwich are crap, so we don't care? What, what what's the angle?
1: I think it's a it's a tricky one to call. I would in if if Norwich hadn't been on the on the run prior to Cardiff that we'd been on, you would immediately immediately be looking at that as a home win, wouldn't you? Um, but yeah, it's hard to say. I, I think QPR have chair is probably the main player, and Lyndon Dykes. I think while quality wise, um, he hasn't got a lot of it. He, he is a handful just because he's a um, he's a presence, and he you know he, he chucks himself about. And against a really uncomfortable defense, he could have some joy. Yeah, uh, you know, I, I, I'm really not sure we, we'll see we'll see in terms of John Rowe how we get on with him but with the goals that QPR have conceded at will and thinking positively again about our attacking record, maybe it's a case of we concede a couple but dare I say it score three I don't know that's that's me with a looking at it with a positive outlook um, but I certainly wouldn't be putting much money on us on us to win. Based on
0: recent results, so and I think this will help shape the the you know not so distant future. It will help shape our content to a degree in the sense of how are you now going to look at Norwich City. So, for example, say we do this again in two weeks' time, and, and Norwich have put in a Cardiff performance and won three-two again. Are we, I don't know, it, will your mind, do you, and again, we're speaking before the event, but are you going to sort of look to to go back to, especially with the stuff happening behind the scenes and Ben Knapper, etc. Are we going to go back to focusing fully on performances and, and David Wagner? Or is it always going to be in the back of your mind that, yeah, he's going to go. It's just about when you pull the trigger. It, it, does he almost have... Because you mentioned the word audition earlier, didn't you, in terms of is this now an audition for David Wagner, for Ben Napa, which I think it is. How do you view looking at the next few weeks? Is it like, what, what are you going to be looking for, really?
1: Um, well, you mentioned the audition there. I, I think it's also kind of not so much an audition, but it's Napa's chance to... Um, you know, present himself to the fans. Uh, Okay, we've seen an interview, um, but we're going to need to hear more from him and his decision-making. You mentioned about, um, you know, he mentioned about his playing style and uh, I think he said possession with, with high intensity, didn't he? And we know that Wagner maybe possession isn't as high on his priority list as... It would have been for Daniel Farker. So it's about Napa deciding about that as well. I'm sure he will have names in mind because if we lose at Carrow Road again on Saturday, um, everyone knows how many poor results QPR have had. So if they were to come and turn us over, we're back to square one, aren't we? I don't see a situation where... Norwich beat QPR, then beat Watford, then beat Bristol City. I don't know how many of those games we're going to win, um, but I, I'm i not sure I, I see it changing back to people giving Wagner more of a chance um, just because the evidence hasn't been there defensively Um that things are going to improve that drastically. Maybe it will with lo- the likes of Barnes coming back in. Maybe Angus Gunn. I- I'm not sure. But they're not the most difficult fixtures coming up, are they? Um, but yeah, I- I'm not expecting a huge turnaround in
0: results. With this idea that David Wagner has the full support of of the board and and everyone at Norwich, I think with with one last sort of scrape at the barrel. His last and well, his final hand is very much Barnes, Sergeant, and, and maybe Gunn. I don't really know what his take on that whole situation is. He's probably like us and just thinking, Oh, God, can we have Angus Gunn back nice and soon? <laughs> but his final hand will be Sergeant and Barnes, and you know, maybe like John Rowe perking up a bit more and that kind of stuff. But you know, he's still playing and is injured, so we'll ignore that for now. But that really is it because in that fine spell of form when Norwich were fun to watch playing positive football getting good results scoring lots of goals you had Josh Sargent and Ashley Barnes as a pivotal part of that and it's a, it's a bit like you know as you say david wagner's attention isn't on how can we retain the ball and create chances it's how can we get the ball from here to there as quickly as possible obviously when you like Daniel Farker did eventually it is more so in his first season when you nail the how can we do it whilst on the ball you get from here to there very quickly anyway mm. but from the get-go where Norwich are way less afraid than what they used to be to just hoof it forward where you were aiming for Sergeant and Barnes you're now aiming for whoever's up front that day um which you know is most likely to be um Adam Eder, you know, he, as you mentioned to me before, the pod I didn't actually see, but he, he scored tonight. And I mean, we can do a whole podcast on Adam Eder alone, which I'm sure at one point we, we probably will because he's such a fascinating case study at, at Norwich City. But, you know, that was my... I, I don't even know if that was positive there or not, but that that's where I'm at in terms of, I think, you're absolutely spot on. We, we need to see some more from Napa. His interview was everything you'd expect from a club one. As you said, George, and yeah, nothing, when he gets nothing put,
1: unique in there
0: whatsoever was there. Which no, no, we, we shouldn't have. Well, it's okay, it, but no, exactly, and it's okay because the guy is, you know, like Stuart Weber was, and he's in a much more difficult position than Stuart Weber from a PR perspective because Weber was in a new role at the club in a circumstance where everyone was like, "Oh my God, we need massive reform and change." Napa is coming in where. Everyone is well informed of the sporting director role, however unique it is to Norwich, because, I mean, for Stuart Webber, it was here, have the keys, made, do what you want. Um, but he's in the position with expectation. And it's like how, you know, when Norwich started to go wrong was when the expectation came. Napa is here with expectation. He's here with a very old squad. He's here with not three months to think about releasing players and getting his own. His circumstances... Again, circumstances being the key word for me are way more difficult from a PR perspective than than Stuart Weber. But we do need to see him because you know I don't want him to say something like I don't know. We want to be top seventeen, that kind of stuff. I, I'm not after that. I'm just after the here and now of I know results need to improve. You know, my ideal manager would, and he can say it's David Wagner, cool, whatever. But I want to hear what it is. Mm. Um, and then eventually, when he does get chopped. We'll, we'll deal with that uh, when it comes to it. We'll do a Norwich City and we'll kick the can down the road before we, we get into that because we could go for another hour on that. But it shall be, it, it, it shall pique my interest to a very high degree. George, I'm happy to call it there. Are you happy to call it there? Because I don't know how we've kept it under an hour, but we've, we've covered quite a lot. Again, I'd like to say a big thank you to those who listened, to those who watched. If you want to rate the podcast, whether you're watching or listening, please do. It'd be much appreciated if you don't. Fair enough. (laughs) Subscribe to on YouTube if you fancy. Again, thank you to everyone who has subscribed so far. When you'll next see us in this format, I don't know. I'm hoping we can do some live stuff soon. I'm, I'm sort of figuring out the the logistics of, of doing that because, I mean, that's my bread and butter. I absolutely love doing live stuff, especially where we, we have a lot more emotion um, or high-level emotions running through our veins, especially after um, a result. But that's what's to come. Hopefully, what's to come for Norwich City on the pitch is much better. And from myself and George, we'll see you again very, very soon.